1: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.
2: Friday morning, the 22nd of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM.
3: Uh, as a society, we all know we're not where we are hoped we would be at this stage of this week.
2: Paul Reid, the Chief Executive Officer of the HSE. I don't need to remind you that the hope was, of course, for a full reopening of society beginning today. A fourth wave of COVID has put an end to that, and the need for some caution has resulted in some confusion.
3: Uh, throughout this week, uh, very conscious that much of the coverage, much of the concern and uh, issues to be clarified related to Uh, the application of the decisions to one level of sector or one level of a location versus another. Uh, And there's been much much discussion uh, whether it's fair that one sector, one location can operate one way and another has to operate another way. And I fully understand the importance of that for those sectors.
2: Yes, it has been a long week, hasn't it? But going into this weekend now, it seems many of those anomalies have been ironed out. I think
3: the reality of it is... Thankfully, we're all getting back to the opening of society, being able to go out, socialise for a meal, go to a bar, nightclubs now opening up as well. I think that's a very positive thing for all of us, particularly with high vaccination rates.
2: Having said that, the HSE is calling on all of us to remember the basic principles for protecting ourselves from COVID.
3: Keeping the social distancing. So if we're at workplace and work, make sure you have that social distance space between you. Uh, make sure if you're at meetings, people are wearing masks. Make sure there's plenty of hand cleanser uh, around the location of work or indeed at home. Uh, and again, in terms of enterprise, making sure that hand cleanser is still available uh, and filled up on a regular basis for retail units.
2: And for those working in hospitality, the HSE has this message. A
3: very clear call that went out to uh, the service industry this week uh, to ensure that they are implementing uh, the public health measures and the public health checks and the COVID cert that goes with
2: it. It's a simple message from Paul Reid, uh, the HSE CEO. No cert, no entry. And that is, of course, because life is at stake.
3: The big picture does show uh, that the health of some people remains under serious threat uh, because of the levels of transmission of the virus. We are getting to increasing levels of risk every day and every hour, indeed, in our hospital system in particular. We're seeing very many uh, patients with COVID in our hospitals every day and many more every day. In some cases, uh, unfortunately there are still people dying with this
2: disease That's the reality of it uh, but let's uh, look forward to, to the weekend Mark McGowan of Peggy Murr's Pub and Scholars Town House Hotel in Drogheda joins us. Mark is the President of uh, the Restaurants Association of Ireland Good morning to you Mark and thank you indeed uh, for taking the time as always uh, to be with us here on this morning on the programme this morning The guidelines were only finalised last night. Uh, do you know what's expected of you?
4: So, good morning Michael Michael uh, that's actually the 34th amendment, believe it or not, to the guidelines. I had a good look through them last night. So the last 19 months has been we've, we've been working through change, the entire process, and we've done everything we've had to do in terms of uh, being compliant, making sure we're, we're up to date, consistently our staff are up to date, and this so this is no different. So our tables are gone from a six to a ten, which is very much welcomed because logistically it's very difficult to manage tables of six. And most important, multiple table bookings. We're able to plan for Christmas now. We, with with the hope of being able to get a few Christmas parties mm-hmm. in, and we can have a max table of ten. Yes, there's still personal responsibility and self responsibility from the customer to make sure that they're they're wearing masks when walking around venues. Um, search checking still is very important as well, because uh, as we just heard there from Paul Reid, people are still dying from this disease. So we have responsibility as business owners to make sure that. Uh, we follow through with this and we are compliant. We do check the certs, check IDs, and um, make sure that uh, we do everything that we need to do to make sure we we finally get out of this, hopefully in January.
2: Okay, so you could take a a booking for Christmas Eve for 100 people, 10 tables of 10, or for 200 people, but once they're in tables of 10, in other words.
4: Absolutely, so long as there's um, other um, mitigation risk factors are in place, such as um, CO2 monitors I have in my own business, they're always they're quite helpful. If if the if it goes into the red at all, you open a few windows, make sure there's good ventilation within your premises. and okay, uh, you have that in scholars
2: go. and in Peggy Murr's, uh, I take it. Uh, does every pub and restaurant have one of these monitors?
4: Uh, I'm not. I can't speak for anyone else, Michael. I have them in, in in our business there. They're about fifty quid on Amazon. They're very cheap to get in. Very easy to use. You might have to change a battery every couple of months. And that's all it really takes. So um, that's there in scholars, they're in Peggy's. Okay, available for staff to keep an eye on.
2: And, and what about the distance between the tables?
4: So the minimum distance is, is there, or the guidance is, one meter. Generally, you wouldn't have much more than a, a, like it, you would be around the meter anyway. Oh. I don't see a huge amount of change with that. Yeah. If there's children involved, we still keep it around two meters. Okay. Um, but mm. in in general, around one meter.
2: But you can have more uh, at a table. It can be fifteen if uh, it includes children, can it? Yes,
4: yeah, so you can have ten adults on a maximum of fifteen. That include the uh, five that are under eighteen. Mm. So um, it's brilliant because it, it, it enables families to get out now. Like it's it's more options. People. We've had a huge amount of people that just they just didn't feel comfortable splitting tables up. So this is a, this is a good thing for business.
2: Right. uh, And three feet really isn't a a lot of space anyway, uh, which is uh, that meter that you're talking about. Uh, You'd be asking people if they wanted to sit in your lap, if it was any closer. So uh, that's uh, giving you full capacity, I take it.
4: Yes, absolutely. But what I am looking forward to, though, Michael, is people being able to sit back at bar counters. So at the moment we're looking at, I don't know how feasible it's going to be to have a big queuing system. Like if you you think of uh, Peggy's might hold 200 people. Uh, we have to plan now to find out how we're going to manage that queuing system. and we have multiple queues? I presume that would be the way we will do it. Um, but for me, if people are standing in the queue, it doesn't make too much of a difference if they're, if they're at a counter. Mm. So I'm looking forward to seeing that come back because it is the fabric of um, a pub that's being able to stand at the bar counter with a couple of pals and enjoy a pint and chat to the barman. Mm. and That's where the atmosphere is, you know.
2: Okay, can you stand beside each other, behind each other, directly behind each other, or do you have to leave a, a metre, two metres uh, between you and the person in front of you if you are in a queue?
4: I haven't seen that um, right. in the guideline. It hasn't. There's no specifics on that. But okay. I presume if people are walking around a nightclub and dancing together and socialising that mm. way, well, then I, I can't imagine there'd be too much social distancing going on in queues. Okay, Not but sure the itself, personal responsibility comes the, in. The,
2: the idea is uh, that you go, you queue, you go up to the bar, you get your drink, uh, and, and then you sit down a- again. Um, what did you get into conversation with somebody?
4: Exactly. This is the this is the risk as well. So the last mm. thing we need is hospitality staff it's to be constantly going around and badgering people to sit down. Mm. Um, I, that's exactly where they're asking for people to make sure that they are taking on that personal and self-responsibility mm. and they're using their heads. I suppose the more drinks that are, are taken on board there's always a risk of people chatting away, but that's why we have the staff there and that's why we have security there to make sure that we we can enforce these measures.
2: Okay, Uh, and do you think that that will be the case, uh, that you will, and others for that matter, will be uh, enforcing those measures, telling people to sit back in their seats, even though they're going, ah, look, I've just be a minute, I haven't seen this man since 1962. (laughs) You know, coming up to Christmas, people are coming home and you know they're going to want to have conversations with people they haven't seen in an awful long time.
4: They are, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's natural and, and we're Irish and we love chatting, we love socialising, so um, it, it, it is always a challenge for staff to have to do it. But they will, they will ask, and I just ask the public not to get frustrated mm. when hospitality staff are just trying to carry out their, their job, basically.
2: Okay. Uh, what about wearing of masks? Uh, will that be compulsory for staff? Uh, will it be compulsory if you're in a, a queue, if you're going to the toilet?
4: Yes, it'll be compulsory. That's the, that's the guidance that we've been given. So we will be asking people to make sure they are wearing masks. Um, same in scholars. Like we won't have that issue in scholars in terms mm. of queuing. When people are up moving around the place, they're generally very good. They put the masks on.
2: Okay, now I I know in scholars you don't let anybody in without a a COVID cert, and that's been the way since they were introduced. And you're pretty strict about that, Uh, but you can't say the same about every restaurant. And we've been hearing a lot of complaints about it. And uh, I think uh, the Health and Safety Authority uh, concluded from its inspections that one third of restaurants and pubs were. Uh, not following the guidelines to the letter, it seems. Uh, uh, do you think that will change? We're told that there'll be a big clampdown this weekend. Are you expecting a big clampdown? Have you any information on that?
4: I am expecting a clampdown. I believe that they'll be out in full force this weekend. We were told that before in the past, and I mean, I—I'll be honest. I didn't have an inspection um, and during the last um, since the last set of announcements. So. Um, I did engage with my EHO and she knows that we're we're diligent enough and we'd have a good rapport. We'd be working closely with her. But um, I'd be disappointed to find if if businesses weren't. We have a chance at this now to get this right. And I'd like to see all businesses um, working hard to make sure that we stay open and we're open for good. Because there's no going back now. We can't go backwards. We have to go forward. And in order to do that, all we have to do is that simple, simple measure. Are you Make worried, sure we're taken,
2: Sir? Are you worried that we'll go back? I mean, there is a chance. Uh, it seems as though to some of us, uh, and I, 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 I accept that the experts uh, are who are looking at, at this feel that it's safe to do it. But we did hear that last Christmas, and we went into lockdown in January. Uh, and I think some of us are, are worried that we might go into a, a lockdown before Christmas. Is that something that you and in the industry are worried about?
4: Absolutely. We're really worried about it in the sense that it it might not just be COVID. It could be the winter vomiting bug that Mm. brings the health service down. There's so many other factors that can can damage the health service, not just COVID. So, but unfortunately, it it will be the case that COVID is the scapegoat, regardless of of what happens. Mm. So all we can do is our part, make sure that we're doing the best we can do to keep our industry open.
2: Okay. and what have you been told about this clampdown? Uh, this weekend, if uh, the inspectors turn up and a restaurant isn't looking for COVID certs, what will be the result of that?
4: Well, what it says in the guideline is that the, the business will run a risk of closure. So um, if you look at an EHO comes up, they have the power, there, are sheriff, they have the authority to be able to turn around and close the business um, without question. Uh, the same with the h s a inspectors and security obviously do the same so um it's just important that businesses are aware of that that um you know this is a very this is very serious it's not just um people coming in and and uh trying to hassle you they're they're trying to carry out their jobs as well. And uh, we just have to follow the guidelines, be compliant and make sure we're carrying out our responsibility to ensure that you don't get closed.
2: OK, uh, and you're, you're hoping that everybody is compliant so that you have the best chance of remaining open. Uh, would you ask the public, uh, as the politicians have been, would you ask the public uh, to help with that? Uh, and if they're not asked for a cert, to ask why that is uh, the case?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that, that uh, customer. that's comes back to the self-awareness and, and self-responsibility. Um, if people are going up, they have to ask themselves the question, is it safe in here if I'm not asked for for the COVID cert? They have to ask that question because that's that's why we're here. Mm. Um, I don't want any of these restrictions in place. I don't want even to have to be uh, asking customers for COVID service. I want everything to be gone away. But the mm. fact of the matter is the virus is still here still there. We just heard Paul Reid saying people are still in the hospital. People are dying from this disease. So that's where the responsibility is. We just need to use some common sense make sure we're following through. And we're tired. We're lethargic as an industry. We're trying our best. But um, we just have, this is the final push now. And I'm asking businesses to make sure that they are compliant, they follow through. And I'm asking the public to make sure that they uh, ask the business as well. Why didn't you ask me for a service?
2: Okay, well I hope you have a busy weekend I hope you have a safe weekend and I hope you have a, a safe, busy couple of months ahead in the run-up to Christmas for that matter Mark, thanks indeed for joining us on the programme today That's Mark McGowan who's uh, the President of uh, the Restaurants Association of Ireland uh, and runs Scholars Townhouse Hotel and Peggy Moore's Pub in Drogheda Michael
5: Michael Reed on LNFM. LNFM.
2: A listener in Navin in touch with us wondering how come the conspiracy theorists have no issue taking medical care when they get COVID they'll go to hospital or wherever is required Uh, and our caller in Navin says it's very selfish of them and it shows a great lack of respect for nurses, doctors and those who have to care for them and them taking up beds which are needed for people who have been on waiting lists for a long time. Law-abiding citizens for that matter says our our listener. Uh, uh, Tom in Dundalk says he's aghast to think that nightclubs are reopening and wonders how management uh, even with the best of intentions would be able to police it. He thinks it's a huge mistake on the government's part in light of uh, the number of cases. Uh, the last thing we want is a lockdown before Christmas. Could they not have held off until after winter when uh, there will be less pressure on uh, the hospitals? Thank you indeed if you have been in touch with us so far this morning. We'd love to hear from you. Let's go to Parik Cribben though who's Chief Executive of the VFI, the Fintners Federation of Ireland. And uh, A very good morning to you Parik and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I take it you're happier today than you would have been yesterday or the day before, but you're not completely satisfied, having said that.
6: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, somewhat happier, maybe, is, is the way I would put it, Michael. If you look at what has happened, we certainly would welcome the reopening of, of nightclubs and late bars that have been closed since March of last year. Those businesses, their owners, their staff, the DJs and the musicians, the security staff that rely on those for a the, for the livelihood, they've been out of work for. Uh, well nigh on on 20 months so it's it's good to see them opening even though there there will be some uh, obviously uh, operational difficulties. Uh, We we also are uh, quite happy to see that there are changes to the the way the bar can operate where uh, up up until now you have to sit at your seat and there was table service you can now go to the bar uh, order your drink pay for your drink and take it back to the seat and that certainly will help in the context of of staffing shortages, etc.
4: Mm.
6: But we we are concerned that I mean the the shirt said early in the week that there would be anomalies, but sometimes when the anomalies are so great, uh, they create very significant difficulties. And for example, I just give you a very simple example of a question a member asked me during the week. He said, "How can it be safer to have two or three hundred people uh, dancing and sweating on a dance floor, yeah. and I cannot have?" Uh, either three or four people sitting socially distanced at my bar, or maybe eight people uh, in, in a section throwing darts. Mm. Uh, and that is the problem where those anomalies. 1,500 people
2: is. dancing at a gig.
6: Correct. Mm. And, and the problem is that it makes compliance, when the rules are so crazy
5: yeah. and
6: so crazily diff- uh, different, it's a little bit like having a motorway where you have a speed limit of 50 kilometres. And a side road beside it with a speed limit of 100 kilometers. The people on the road, on the motorway are not going to stick at 50 kilometers yeah. because it doesn't make sense.
2: And the result will be the same, won't it? Uh, I mean, people aren't going to abide by these guidelines because they don't have to. They're not compulsory, are they? They're only guidelines when it comes uh, to queuing for the bar and then sitting down again.
6: Well, they're, 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 they have they have a regulatory backup, uh, so it, it would be wrong to suggest that they're they're just guidelines. But we we, we do have, you know, even as of now, uh, I had a number of meetings late into the night last night uh, and we were told that the final guidelines for nightclubs would have been on the uh, Department of Tourism website by about 10 o'clock last night. Mm. At half past nine this morning, they're still not there and I gather that there may be some issues still not resolved. And this is for nightclubs, some of which opened last night after 12 o'clock. Mm. So this is it's, it's a crazy situation where you're trying to deal with things in, in such a short frame of time where a little bit of forethought would have uh, precluded the, re- the requirement to do that.
2: Was there the time to have that little bit of forethought?
6: Uh, I, I think anybody who is uh, in, a, in a situation where they're having to have regulations or they're trying to think forward, you would always have a contingency. Right. Uh, there was no contingency in this in, in this instance
2: okay cuz that has been, been the government's a con- a contingency that has, that has been the government's argument uh, this week uh, that this landed unexpectedly uh, on uh, their desk uh, and they were blindsided by it uh, and had to react in the best way possible and work it out as they went uh, along and that's what they say they've done at this stage uh, but you reject that on both counts i take it
6: I, I think that, you know, a little bit of foresight would have um, would have helped the situation. Uh, and they also wouldn't have got into the mess that they got themselves into if they had consulted with people within the sector who know the nuances of what happens within the sector. Mm. And this is not just for our sector. It's true of every sector. You know, and, and you cannot expect um, officials in departments and politicians to know everything about everything. Uh, we don't do that, uh, but if they, if they consulted with those who know a little in the sector, I think that we would have avoided a lot of the heartache that went on over the last 48, 72 hours.
2: Okay, if somebody is nipping in for a pint, uh, will they have to have a, a COVID cert? Will that be enforced? Yes. Even though it hasn't been up to now?
6: Oh, it has been. Uh, I mean, well,
2: I mean, we know uh, from uh, the HSA that a, a third of the pubs they inspected uh, and no, restaurants. No, we don't
6: know that from the HSA. In fairness, Michael, uh, I, I had I had contact from a journalist yesterday who has sight of a HSA report which says that ninety five percent are compliant. What we have is some survey done by the Department of Health. That says that uh, one third are not compliant. Mm. Uh, from our point of view, okay,
2: Well, our listeners are telling us they're going in here, there, and everywhere over the last couple of weeks, and not being asked for certs. Uh, so there is some level of non-compliance.
6: Uh, I would accept that, and that's mm. totally not acceptable. I think that there's an onus, there's an onus on on all all people who have licences. There's an onus on the public, uh, and there's an onus on the regulatory authorities to make sure it's happening. And certainly you would not condone non compliance because for two for two reasons. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's against the regulations, number one. And number two, it's, it's an unfair disadvantage versus those who are, who are doing the job properly.
2: Mm. Uh, and it also runs the risk uh, of putting us backwards and going into lockdown before Christmas, the most critical time of the year for your members. Uh, we were hearing from Mark McGowan of uh, the President's Association a few minutes ago, and he'd be concerned that that could end up being the upshot of people flaunting the law.
6: Uh, I would agree with Mark on that. I mean, the reality is that we've got to be vigilant. Uh, We've seen a significant rise in the numbers in hospital and the numbers in uh, ICU Mm. in in the last week or so. I I think it's unfortunate that, um, you know, uh, we we have a situation where there's a lot of people in ICU, over half of them, Mm. with no vaccination. Uh, And I think that, you know, one of the problems we have is that the concentration of uh, effort and everything else is on the 92% that are vaccinated, almost 93% now, and not sufficient on the 7% that are not vaccinated.
2: I take it you're in for a lot of arguments over the weekend, the next few weeks for that matter, from people who don't have COVID certs or people who do have COVID certs, but will be telling you, look, I was upstairs and I I didn't need to do this, this, that and the other because of these anomalies that you're talking about and so on.
6: Yeah, I think it's it, it, it's it's going to be difficult, and and even in within the within the um, the nightclub sector, operationalizing the um, the guidelines will not be easy. I mean, if you have people coming up in in big numbers, and you've got to get contact tracing details, and you've got to get uh, COVID tests checked, and then trying to have a queuing system uh, in the bar, you know, there's nothing easy in this. Mm. Uh, that's that's for sure, and I have no doubt that there will be. Some complications, and uh, but we've got to try and manage it uh, as safely uh, and as close to the regula- mm. and, and close to the regulations, complying with the regulation. We've got to do that over over the days, weeks, and and hopefully months ahead. Yeah,
2: well, I take it in the nightclubs, uh, you're going to have uh, people uh, going to the toilet uh, who won't know where their mask is.
6: Yeah, you'll have plenty of those kind of things. I mean, you don't have to wear the mask when you're dancing or drinking. Mm, yeah. um,
2: or snogging, you know, apparently. It, uh, uh,
6: apparently, uh, and, and mm-hmm. I know this has happened in Scotland, uh, and that a, a lot of people ended up, they, they had their mask on and they danced their way to the toilet so they didn't have to wear <laughs> the mask that sounds crazy it sounds yeah. ludicrous it sounds funny but that's what was happening
2: yeah well it, 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 I shouldn't laugh uh, because it, it, well it probably is funny or would be funny if it wasn't so serious uh, and right. uh, that's, that's what's at the root of all of this uh Are we doing the right thing? Uh, Because that sort of stuff is going to happen. It's inevitable that it's going to happen. Uh, And the rest of us will be laughing. The bouncers will probably be laughing. Uh, Are we mad going ahead with this?
6: Look, we've been told all all along, Michael, that the solution to our problems is vaccination. Uh, We have 93% of the population over 18 fully Mm. vaccinated. Of course, to 93% uh, as, as makes no difference. Uh, the question you have to ask is, if not now, when? Because you're not going to get, unless you, unless government take significant action to encourage or compel, and I, b- by compel I don't mean mandatory, uh, compel people to, um, or make, let's put it this way, make it, make it so difficult that people will go and get vaccinated. Uh, I think that uh, um, you're not going to get a better level of vaccination than we have now, so the real question is: Is not now when and under what conditions? So um, you know these businesses, in fairness, and there is a balance mm. to be found between um, you know livelihood ba- and, and and all of that as well. These businesses have been closed since March of last year, and it's not just the business but themselves. It's their staff, the musicians, the DJs that depend on them, the bouncers that you referred to. Mm. All of that is 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 uh, it's impacting on those people uh, big time.
2: All right, well... Uh, as uh, is the case with everybody in the industry. I hope you have a, a busy and a, a safe weekend and uh, safe couple of months and very busy for that matter in the run up uh, to the Christmas period. And thanks as always for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Porry Cribben, the Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. I'm not sure... Uh, but we would like to know how you feel about it. Will you be going out uh, this weekend? Uh, Will you be booking uh, Christmas parties? Will you be going to Christmas parties? Uh, Or will you be out socialising as you normally would be? Uh, Or how do you feel about it all? Are you cautious? Do you think uh, it's too much too soon? Uh, Or is it about time that we took the shackles off and got back to living and normality and all of that? We'd love to hear from you today, as always. And you know the telephone number and the text number and so on. You can get in touch with us by email by WhatsApp uh, or indeed uh, through one of our social media sites whichever suits you we'd love to hear from you
5: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM
2: There's a, a very interesting call from Loretto who is in Drogheda and Loretto tells us uh, that uh, there's an 18 year old in the house who has never been to a nightclub and is just dying to get down on the floor. Can't wait to go. How can I stop her, really, when it is allowed, Loretto says. Loretto says she's worried about her daughter catching COVID-19 and then bringing it back into the house. And she says, I, I bet this is going on in a lot of houses, and it's causing rows in plenty of homes. It's... Uh, Interesting, as I say, uh, to me, because it's the first I've heard uh, of uh, that situation. I haven't heard anybody uh, fighting with their children about where they should or shouldn't be going. uh, But maybe that is uh, the case for some of our other listeners. Uh, But thanks uh, for sharing that with us, Loretto. We are hoping to hear uh, that sort of uh, experience uh, from people. This morning, uh, but one thing I do know is that Peter won't be going to a nightclub. Uh, P- Peter won't be going to a pub, but Peter won't be going to a restaurant. Uh, Peter, uh, <laughs> I- I'd say Peter spent 25 minutes writing his text to us. Uh, it's probably uh, an A4 page long, uh, but he's saying things like uh, that. Actually, the reason people are in hospital is from side effects from the jab. <laughs> oh, did you ever? Uh, thanks, Peter. Uh, we won't be reading your text uh, because uh, it's very, very silly. Uh, and as I say uh, you won't be going to the pub you won't be going to the restaurant you won't be going to a nightclub uh, and you probably won't even be allowed into nursing homes as we'll be hearing later in the programme because you'll need a, a COVID cert uh, and doing um, the right thing uh, I actually had a, an email from somebody yesterday asked me uh, to look at a, a website uh, one of these peer-reviewed data uh, and to get the other side of the story which is that all of this stuff about the vaccines is wrong COVID is made up and I looked it up it some television presenter in America who's spouting nonsense and has been for years all sorts of conspiracy theories where are people getting this stuff? We're talking about normally intelligent people who are coming up with all of this stuff it's incredible. Anyway the good news is uh, according to the pubs and the restaurants as we heard on the programme this morning uh, those who don't have Covid certs are going to be kept out this weekend and for the foreseeable future that seems to be the word from the industry and I think that will be welcomed by most people who would be concerned about mingling with them Uh, and here's a message to that effect from the Chief Medical Officer Dr. Tony Hulah.
7: We have seen within the hospitality sector guidance developed that's been applied to bars and restaurants. There hasn't been universal uh, uh, compliance with that. We know from the SAM data that we have available to us that a half or sorry, a quarter to a third of bars and restaurants aren't checking necessarily for COVID passes. Uh, but many, many restaurants and bars have been effectively implementing these arrangements and deserve credit for that and have contributed to limiting transmission and risk for the people they serve and for the, for the people that they employ. Uh, and there's no reason to believe that the nightclub sector can't be the same. It can't be, as it were, a free-for-all within that particular sector uh, um, we're all, I think, just about able to remember what the, a nightclub uh, experience is, is like uh, and we know that it does carry the kinds of um, risks. Uh, of, of easy transmission of the virus. But as I say, uh, if the sector, uh, in its responsible approach to reintroducing uh, that particular activity, and individuals who use that are mindful of and adhering as much as possible to the basic protections, we can minimise the risk of transmission in those environments. That's why, as I say, basic rents, including in particular the, the COVID pass, and strict adherence to ensuring that only people who are vaccinated and obviously people then who are not symptomatic in the first instance attend and comply with all the
2: measures that are in place within those. Okay, interesting. Don't let somebody in if uh, they're sneezing at the door uh, and certainly don't let them in if uh, they don't have a COVID cert. That's uh, Dr. Tony Houlihan. We'll hear more from the CMO in a moment about kissing. Now, uh, let's go to Joe. Joe was texting us this morning and he's sick of what he says is a ridiculous cop-out phrase. If not now, when? Uh, we heard Parag Cribbin say that a, a few moments ago, the BFI saying, if we can't reopen now, when can we reopen? Uh, and Joe says that the when is when we have far more manageable cases and hospital levels. That's when. But it, it's certainly not now. The other ridiculous phrase is we were promised the vaccines would enable reopening. Uh, Joe has put that in inverted commas. And he says, that clearly isn't the case now, as vaccines are showing themselves to be far weaker than first thought. Your last contributor, that's Paul Kribbinet again, even said both phrases. And Joe says, that was cringy. Now, if you're going to a nightclub tonight, um, will you be comfortable doing all of those things? Uh, will you be comfortable kissing somebody? Or would you be comfortable being kissed? <laughs>
7: Well, I mean, individuals will make their own individual decisions. I think what 's important, so i 'm not going to get into the, to, to, to uh, dictating for individuals what individuals choose to do in, in, in that context. overall, the, measure, the, me, the sorry the, the message has got to be that, that effective compliance with the measures uh, that are recommended and uh, uh, is what will get us out of this, and individuals need to make their own individual risk assessments and their own decisions around how they they they, uh, they manage and mitigate the risks themselves and the risk to others. And the evidence is, when we when we put our shoulder to that wheel as a population, all the way through the pandemic, each time that we've needed to do that, we've been able to turn around these patterns of transmission, and we
2: remain optimistic about that. I suppose it's a, a little bit like uh, that old one, are you dancing? Uh, no, it's just the way I'm standing. Uh, it's down to you as to whether you're going to do it uh, or not, and it depends on who's asking. Anyway, that's the uh, De- uh, that's the chief medical officer, Dr. Tony Hulan. Michael Reid Reed on, on LMFM. Now we're going to go back to what appears to have been an ongoing saga with the next phase of the Brinestown Woods development in Drogheda. Fergus O'Dowd Finnegale TD is on the line and a very good morning to you. Thank you indeed for joining us. We heard that Houses in this phase were being delayed by at least five months, wouldn't be completed until February because of a problem with electricity. The developer was blaming ESB, ESB networks that say that it's to do with site safety issues. But I believe there's a development this morning.
8: There is, yes. I received a letter last night from the ESB, an email which uh, we sent on to Maggie there, which basically very clearly says that there is no application before the ESB uh, for the address of Brian Stonewoods that hasn't been completed. So they, they have nobody has a request before the no builder has got onto them to say that they have met the standards uh, so that they can then connect. Now, if such a letter were received, an application was received, it can take three to four weeks for that to happen, uh, for them to do the legal and the, the due process on that. So it's really black or white, Michael. Either the developer applies for the connection or he doesn't, there is no application currently before the ESB, full stop. So what that means is that all of my constituents who are waiting may have to go again through the process of reapplying further loans for another six months. Uh, and as you said yourself in the outset there, there could be further and other delays, which may mean they may have to do that again, which is absolutely disgraceful. Nice. So the answer is to... You see, the problem is that the health and safety regulations are legal. Mm. The ESB must 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 insist on them being fully complied with. Otherwise, if there's an accident, they're liable. So mm. the builder has to do the work to their satisfaction. It's a legal satisfaction. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not John might like the look of the, the colour of the wood or the stone or whatever. It must conform to the legal safety requirements. Right. And if that happens the ESP will connect absolutely. So that's where the problem lies. So we have to what's, walk in that today and now and get that information to people.
2: What's going on? Uh, I don't I, know, Michael, I mean, mean, people paid their deposits last March, didn't they? You know, uh, they, they, they've they've mortgages, um which haven't been drawn down, and you know, they're time sensitive and they may have to reapply for mortgages and so on. They may not uh, get the mortgage next time around. This is people's dreams. Uh, people are, are in all sorts of different circumstances waiting for the keys for their new houses that they put deposits on and should have moved into in September, as I remember, if I remember correctly. Uh, I'm told by one such person uh, who wants to get into their new house and is very frustrated that the developer is insisting that this is down to the ESB. Uh, but you're rejecting that outright this morning, first Yeah, well, say,
8: well. the letter from the EU is ex- exceptionally yeah. clear. Now, they are the legal; they, they have the legal obligation on them that before they can connect, it must meet all the safety requirements. Now, we're talking about site safe, safe, safe safety. They're not talking, I understand, about the houses that have already been built or anything like that. They're talking mm-hmm. about you know, the, the exclusion zones around wires, the hazard zone areas, the the official uh, passing areas mm. between electricity infrastructure. So so it is black and white. There is no application uh, for stop. So
2: have you uh, managed to speak to the developer at all? This uh, came to our attention uh, through a report in uh, the Sunday Business Post. The developer didn't uh, respond to, to queries from the Sunday Business Post. The developer hasn't responded to queries from LMFM. Uh, the developer has been writing to those uh, who are waiting for the keys uh, to their homes, blaming the ESB. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure if there's any uh, comment on the record uh, that we're aware of. Have you spoken to him?
8: I haven't. No, but what I have done. I've spoken to to the ESB. I've spoken to the Health and Safety Authority. I've spoken to, it's almost the people, obviously, who are, who are taken out mortgages. And I have spoken to the auctioneer as well. So I will. I didn't have this information yesterday evening when I was speaking to the auctioneer involved, and I will pass it on to him now. Mm. And I think the f- the future is that there must be a meeting yeah. between the ESB and the developer. I, I get involved in that if I have to, but yeah. the ESP will do it I anyway. Mean, they want to do it. That's mm. their job. They turn up to do it, mm. and they can't do it because they, the requirements aren't met. So it's it's a technical safety issue. But I will speak to, to, to the auctioneer yeah, now. We will, and but will, we we have spoken we to
2: the auctioneer, and they weren't aware. So I'm sure this will be interesting news for them, as you say. Uh, it is. But it what is difference true, yeah. will it? What difference will it make? I wonder. Or uh, where do you think this might go from here?
8: Well, I, 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 as you said, Michael, why is all this happening? Yeah. There's no sense to it, because the builder can't connect the houses. He can't sell any more of so them. People can't go in. So it'll affect his whole business model. And it also creates uncertainty, a huge uncertainty for the families. Children hoping to be in by Christmas, you know, for Santa, Mm, the first year in the
2: new home. That seems almost certain not to happen, I think, from what I understand. It's going to be
8: very difficult. It is going to be very Mm. difficult. So, look, I'll I'll keep pushing. I, I will go through the auctioneer to the builder. I'll share this letter with them and I'll push for them to meet to conform. Like I mean, all they have to and it's not it's not rocket science, every mm. builder has to do it, is to meet the legal safety requirements. Because if somebody is injured, if somebody dies on a site, God forbid on a site, who is liable if if it, the installation isn't safe, you know. Mm. Nobody but the builder,
2: you know. Yeah. Well God well it's so important uh, to the people who are directly impacted by this Um, I think uh, we'd be very anxious uh, to hear of any developments uh, and we'd be very anxious to hear from the developer if the developer does want to to respond to the queries uh, that they received from ourselves here at LMFM or through yourself or whoever because I'll get back
8: to you I'll report back to you after after.
2: as you know there's people waiting on keys for their new homes it's it's yeah, a, it's a, a dreadful, dreadful situation. It's crazy. It's crazy. It really is. Especially when you, you don't know what the problem is or you're confused or you've been told black is white, one is saying it's the ESB is saying it's the builder's fault, the builder is saying it's CSB fault. You're you're very certain it's uh, to do with the development. Oh, yeah,
8: Absolutely absolute, yeah, uh, total uh, accept the word the ESB. I mean they're a national they they have the statutory duty of care that they must they, they must make sure that the builder complies with all of the standards. And that's why they're there, is to make the builders' workers safe. That's what they're there
2: for. All right. Uh, I'd like to return, if I I can, to an issue that you discussed with us earlier in the week and the implementation of the Garen report, which is to... uh, deal with a, a, an awful lot of uh, the way we live in this part of the world, most specifically in Drogheda, but its environs and generally across uh, the northeast to deal with uh, the gangs and the drugs and so on, but also to change the course that young people take in their lives so they don't end up in that situation. That's uh, a general summary of uh, what these recommendations will do if they are to be implemented. There's some 70 of them and we're waiting and waiting uh, as we discussed earlier in the week but it, it's an issue that was debated in the doll yesterday. Yourself and Peter Fitzpatrick putting in questions uh, to Minister Heather Humphreys uh, and you had uh, a few specific issues that you raised with the Minister. Maybe we'll just listen to a, a little bit of your contribution in, in the doll yesterday.
1: And I acknowledge that what I said earlier on. A fantastic job. Not just a good job, a fa- fantastic job from the local Gardaí and the Department of Justice. There needs to be improvement on communication now between, as you say, the HSC and the Red Door. Action speaks louder than words from the HSC, and not from you, Minister. The other issue is that we need community reps on the implementation board. I've looked at the North Inner City Partnership, which is like to draw the the situation. And they have two community reps under implementation board, and they also have a representative from business and employers. And I think that's absent. It wasn't in Girion's report, but I think it needs to be put in now. I think you need local involvement at the very top, because there's a feeling of distance at some times from some community groups they don't know what's happening they're not being informed by the, by the implementation board on the local media as to what is happening that is a deficit the implementation board are aware of that Thanks,
2: as you say Fergus O'Dowd or as you said there in uh, your contribution in uh, the yesterday, uh, that's uh, a, a new aspect uh, that uh, you're hoping would be brought to this uh, process uh, and uh, that local people would have that very strong involvement
8: Absolutely, it's key. In fact, I made this point initially to the Minister when this was being announced, but because it wasn't actually in the Guret Report, it did it, it sort of... It, it, what is in the government Report is what is there, an implementation board of excellent people, but unfortunately... This is not a reflection um, There's no local people on that. And when I say local, and talk about community groups. Obviously, the chair is, is a local man and he's highly respected and very capable. But they're all civil servants or former civil servants. And the difficulty is, you know, the local yeah. people want to be on it. And I believe we should have uh, at least two on it and also representative of the employer's and the business community, because they have a huge part to play as well. So I think uh, what I was talking to some people yesterday was that maybe what we should do is go up to the north inner city and meet the people up there and look at how they work, and they're working extremely well. It's working, ex- And I've no doubt, the, uh, it's all good news for Drada, mm-hmm. but we just need to get the communications bit right. And if local people aren't at the decision-making process at the very initiation stage... That that should not continue now because that's what they want. Uh, And I know that Minister Heather McEntee, who who will be returning from leave maternity leave shortly, she's committed to coming to Drogheda as soon as she can and to iron out these issues. But there are lots of good things happening. Just huge progress going to be made. Priority, every government department has to prioritise applications that come from the Mm. implementation board. So I'm very confident that it will go very well. But we just need to, to fine-tune local uh, voices and local input. And Michael, media, like yourself, need to be informed regularly as well.
2: Mm, the minister didn't uh, respond to that suggestion, I, I don't think. Uh, and she nodded Michael. She, what? she nodded her head. Uh, Say that again, she, sorry? She she nodded
8: she 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 agreed oh, with me but she, I'm not sure if, if anything was picked up on what she said but yeah
2: no but it, very helpful she, yeah. she didn't respond directly uh, to the suggestion and, and I, mean, I, I, I she said quite a lot in the doll yes and at the same time didn't say very much uh, it was a little bit
8: disappointing the trouble with Michael the difficulty with those interventions mm. is you have I have 30 seconds to make my case.
2: And the minister has 30 seconds. Ah, yeah. in
8: there. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: I think it went on probably for about 10 minutes it's of And sure. uh, I, 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 I thought the minister rehashed pretty much all that we know, uh, which, yeah. uh, as you said, well, is, is disappointing. The pace of this is all very disappointing. And she said, look, you know, Helen McEntee will be back and the minister uh, when she uh, comes back from maternity leave uh, will give this... More priority or prioritise it, uh, whatever way you want yep. to put that. But I, I, I don't know. Given that so much time was given over to it in the doll yesterday between yourself and Peter Fitzpatrick and the minister's responses, it must have run to ten to twenty minutes. But there was nothing uh, of substance uh, in the debate, really, was there?
8: Well, I think there was Michael. Uh, but I think look, the time is the time that you're given. It's, you have thirty seconds in the beginning. Then the minister has thirty seconds mm-hmm. to come back. Then I get a minute. The minister gets a minute and then they get another minute. Mm. And she has said, that's, mm. I know. But the, the problem is that it has to be short and snappy. Mm just like your show but uh, yeah. the, the, the point is though oh, I know but she was able to tell Department, us that the implementation board
2: met in October and that oh, no, the force of McCazie's were in uh, the mm, minister she was answering the question yeah. but she didn't she say anything about to. she didn't really say anything about the monies to the Red Door project uh, which uh, she was no, telling no, she, us she, she, which, she was, come was, come was come telling there, us in July see. that she'd come back uh, now and she isn't coming back I don't think she's going to come back at all I think she's going to leave that to Helen McEntee because they were to get 150,000 they got 70,000 and there was no and there was no mention of fasten yesterday, for that matter.
8: Yeah, but, no, and just on those points, Michael, and this yeah. is where this is why I raised the issue yesterday. That a lot of these issues are for the HSE. the Department of Justice is fully committed and is funding the, the money so far. And I acknowledge totally that's why I raised it isn't enough. It? That came through the good offices of the minister herself, so like she took that in hand to make sure that happened. Mm. I have spoken to the HSE, uh, the, the head in this region, about this very issue as well yesterday. And I told them that I was very unhappy with the, the lack of publication of the HSE report. What, what the departments are saying, until the HSE published their strategy, they've done an analysis of the services. And we all know that they're not doing the services in Drogheda. So the analysis. Really, uh, if the, if the HSE were doing the work, there would be no need for the red door. And, and the deficit is there. They haven't published that report. Uh, they haven't come up with their policy. So until they do, the money can't be released. So I spoke to, I spoke to the head of primary care yesterday about this issue. And he was unaware of some of the issues because even though parliamentary questions went in, and I had one on the needle exchange program, which was stopped in mm. the
2: town. Yes, uh, it stopped in May. He I, aware aware you say, I heard you say that yesterday. The needle exchange stopped in May, wasn't it?
8: It did. It stopped because of COVID, I understand, mm. but they have no alternative in place. Uh, now, that question was never answered, to believe it not, half six. Well, that runs the risk of, of hepatitis
2: and HIV and all sorts of other problems. Yep. Yeah,
8: But mm. but, the, but the, point is, the point is, what we need is, and that's what I asked the minister to do yesterday, and she undertook to do that, was that to, to bring my point to the attention of the HSC, and I've done that myself mm-hmm. separately. So when Helen McEnly comes back, we put all this yeah. on the agenda for a, a, a positive conclusion. Which which I do expect, and you're right about the funding. You know, for the community groups, there is enough, and the Family Addiction Support Network, they need appropriate and proper support as well. Yeah. Because if they weren't doing the work that they're doing, and the Gardaí would be the first to say how fantastic they are, yeah. they can't continue. So you're absolutely right, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. But this is why the Gearing Report is yeah. there.
2: Um these are yeah. the, the, conditions. But the, I think there would be that. True. The other thing, um I, I think, and I think you'll probably agree with me, is that it's the, the, the guardie are doing great work and the addiction services exactly. are, are are doing great work. Yeah. But none of us want the guardie arresting our children and putting them in prison or our children yes. or our children needing to go to addiction services because they're addicted to crack cocaine or heroin or whatever it is that's doing the rounds at the moment. What we want is a plausible alternative from their point of view and that is what this report, if it's implemented in full should it achieve, isn't it?
8: Yeah, and I believe it will because mm. I believe that they, I go back to the north and right. the inner city programme that's had a huge positive impact in the north and the city in terms of treatment, in terms of dealing with drug abuse, dealing with community de- deficits and so on and you know I, I think I've learned a lot obviously, from what we've tried to do here mm. and what is happening. But I, I, I'm very... I mean, the key point, Michael, is that this is a decision of the government that, that will be prioritised. Mm. These are significant issues. I know we're dealing with them. Uh, but I'm confident, I'm confident that, that Minister McEntee is absolutely committed to this and that she will be visiting Johada shortly and that we will have the community ideas Ready to be put into operation okay. through her and through her and the other departments. I'm very confident
2: of that. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you uh, as always for joining us. Uh, that's uh, Fergus O'Dowd for Niall TD for Loud and East Meath. Uh, Maeve has been on the phone to us, and I take it Maeve is very excited. Maeve is in Drogheda, and she's going to Dublin tonight, where she's going to a gig. Uh, Maeve is in her 20s she's fully vaccinated and she's going to meet up with her friends she hasn't seen many of uh, these people for over a year Uh, she's been looking forward to Freedom Day which is today for a long time and you have to have faith in the vaccine uh, as well as adhere to the regulations that are in place in venues it's a standing only live gig in Dublin tonight and Maeve is beside herself well enjoy yourself Maeve and be safe and thanks for calling us
5: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM
2: Now we all have rights we've rights when it comes to healthcare, education employment, social inclusion public body services, legal aid advocacy service and so on we are all equal aren't we well some are more equal than some it seems and not everybody enjoys uh, the same rights and legislation was put to the doll this week which would give people who have autism the same rights as all of us
9: As a child goes law and into adulthood they again face many challenges when leaving secondary school, whether they'll go into third level or even into the workplace. Again, the supports are not uh, readily available at this stage in the development. I feel we, we've made great strides in recent times in the area of autism. We are getting to a stage where there is no longer any stigma around autism. It is accepted that it, that it is a condition, a condition that needs treatment and support and that those with autism can lead normal lives once they Get the necessary help and support. Minister, I'm sure you like myself and other members in, in in the chamber here at the moment is the amount of people coming into our constituency office. They are looking for help. trying to needs help. They can't afford to wait two or three years in waiting lists. And also, Minister, they can't afford private assessment. All, all we all want is the best for our children. We all want the best for our children. So I find families coming into me and they've, they've no option but to get loans. They go to the banks, they go to the credit unions, and the last resort is loan sharks. That's a bad situation, Minister. I even have a family who came in to me and end up taking our child to Poland to get the child assessed. Minister, to me, that's not acceptable. And to conclude, Minister, I, along with other members of the regional group, intend to support and progress this autism bill to the second stage. We're looking forward to working with all of our parties and stakeholders to ensure that this legislation is fit for purpose and ultimately successful. This will be a game changer for autistic people and will enhance their rights in law once and for all.
2: Some incredible stories there and legislation which hopefully would put an end uh, to those stories. That's Peter Fitzpatrick, Independent TD for Loud and East Mead, uh, who joins us on uh, the line. Now, very good morning to you, Peter, and thank you indeed for joining us. Those are stories that people have been telling for a very long time. In fact, this legislation has been knocking around for a very long time uh, for four years uh, at this stage.
10: Yeah, Michael, I was in by, uh, at the time, Senator James Riley, but the, 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 big, the big problem is, Michael, back in 1996, the, the European Commission approved the, the Charter Rights of a person with autism. So basically it said that, 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 that people who are autistic have, have the rights as any, any other EU citizen. And in and, and, and Ireland, we've, we've just been, seen to neglect this. Michael, this is my third time in your programme in the last two weeks, and every time you see me on your programme, I see me talking about health issues, like I was on about drugs, I was on about cigarettes, and I was on about autistic children. Michael, there's not a week in my consistency office that someone doesn't come in. And, Michael, you see a child there, Michael. Now, as I said, early intervention is very, very important. But I have parents coming to my consistency office, and the children are six, seven, and eight, and still not diagnosed. And they are missing the early intervention, which is very, very important. Mm. And they can, as I said yesterday, like 42% of parents or guardians have to wait more than two to three years to receive a diagnosis. And you have to be diagnosed because if you're not diagnosed, Michael, you, you won't get the, in, into the system. You won't get the care that your child is out. We all have children, we're all parents, and we all want the best for our children. It's
2: and hard to I believe that me... somebody went to Poland. That's incredible, I thought.
10: What happened, Michael, this family came in and there a couple of weeks ago There, Michael is there, and the child, the child was coming on five and six and the parents were really, really concerned that the fella's thought, like, this child should be diagnosed at two or three and everything else. Like, 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 I don't want. I don't want to fight your 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 viewers listening to your program this morning, but uh, the symptoms are there. If you've got a child, a young child, say two or three, and when you look at the child, you smile at the child and you get no reaction, or if your child has a certain, can't get taste or smells or sounds or if you if you see them at a certain age of, of walking and talking, there's a lot of symptoms out there. And the best person to diagnose a children is the parents, and they know. And they do know there's something wrong with their children. And they do, they do go to the GPs. The problem we have there at the moment is there's not enough people working in the system. Now, I do blame the HSE there at the moment. is Because, well, like, you know, these people look, need uh, occupational therapy. They need physical therapy. They need speech and language. They need a load of these supports. And when you go looking for them, they're nearly impossible to get. Either you go, to someone's all sick or they haven't got enough. There's always a blame game. Mm. We, appoint, we appoint ministers to different departments to look after these situations in the moment. And I'm a firm believer, you can ask Chris in your programme, every time I bring the programme, Chris says to me, how are you getting on? And I say, your health, your wealth. We can all of all the money you have at the moment. is. We want to make sure that your health well looked after is, and the most important people to us are children. And if we don't look after our children at an early age, it, it's neglect. And this government is neglecting children with autism at the moment is and we have to do something it's it's been kicked down the road for the last last 25 years
2: Why do you think we are so neglectful Uh, it's not long uh, ago since uh, you didn't see autistic people or children or adults with Down syndrome in this country because they were locked away and does this neglect uh, go back to that attitude that belongs in the dark ages
10: Michael, without a doubt, Michael, like years ago there, when you seen there was something wrong with somebody, you'd say, oh, that person's funny and everything else. In. But if you go back years ago, I think it was one in every five or 10,000 people were diagnosed as being autistic. Now, if you look in Ireland, it's one in every 68. And Michael, even I think that's pretty high because when you look in America, one of the biggest countries in the world, it's one in every 54. So I do believe if we did get the, get, get the proper uh, uh, mm. assessment that from one in 60, but it would really, really drop. But Michael, early intervention, this is going to cost the country a lot, a lot of money as you get older. And as I mentioned there like, yesterday, even when the are diagnose is by getting the services. And then when you go to primary school, you might, get a, you might get a special needs teacher. Then you go to secondary school, you mightn't get that. And then you go to third level of workforce. It's just that like the system just seems to be a failure. And it, 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 the money doesn't seem to be the problem because in our health, in our, in our, in our health budget, we're going to spend over $22 billion. So and this is more money than ever been spent before. But I remember James O'Reilly when he was minister for health and people, you know, people, people, he, he made a statement, he says, like, value for money in the health service. Are we getting value for money in the health services? It's other ways that we, that we can maybe run our health service. Like, when you look at the like, likes of Michael O'Leary running a very successful business like Ryanair and everything else, like, shouldn't money follow the patients? Should, should we have a system in the HSE? And, Michael, like, like, the reason I'm saying this is because I do realise a, a lot of families out there at the moment is one in 68. Nearly everybody has experienced a, a child or someone with autistic, And it's about time now. 25 years is far, far, far too long to wait. And as a member of the regional group, we had an opportunity there in the private member business web Wednesday. And the thing, the, the thing that really does annoy me is Every party agrees with it. Every minister agrees with it. The T-shirt, the tolerance, everybody agrees with it. But nothing to be done. Even look at the minister, Anne Rabideau, uh, on, on Wednesday. She asked for an extra 12 months. She wants to set up another, another steering committee. She wants all it is is passing the can down the road. Mm. We do know what the problems are. We do know that the, the, the children need to be diagnosed. We do know that the, 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 the people just need help and support, and we're not getting it.
2: And we're years on from it, uh, and four years on from this legislation being first introduced in July of 2017.
10: Yes, Michael, like, like, as I said you, there's uh, uh, only fault of the regional group has uh, raised it up again in, uh, on Wednesday, and as I keep saying you, everybody says yes, yes, yes. So now, and the, the thing I do like about, it, in fairness to Minister Rabbit, is, like, it, 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 there's the, 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 the four departments involved here. There's health, housing, education, and employment. And as I said, you know, which is the most important? Well, first of all, the most important thing is this child is these children have to be diagnosed, which is most important. These children need support. And in fairness, even the families there at the moment, is, for the family to get a care or, or to get stomach injury care, the child has to be diagnosed. And a lot of, a lot of these families that have these autistic children are on social welfare and basically just can't afford it and they're, they're, they're dependent on their mothers and fathers or dependent on loan sharks. Whatever it is at the moment is, a, a parent will do all they can to protect their children. And I think I think it, it's a disgrace from the government at the moment is we have an opportunity of doing something and let's do it now. Stop kicking the can down the road and start looking after our children.
2: Your health is your wealth. Peter Fitzpatrick, Independent TD. Thank you indeed for joining us today.
5: Michael Reed Reed
2: on on LMFM. Thanks to Deirdre, who says uh, there should be photo ID on COVID certs. Paddy says uh, if you go to AE, you shouldn't uh, get in if you've no COVID cert. Uh, Thanks, Paddy and Kells, for that. That's a a step too far for me, I have to say. Jerry says uh, why not wear a mask when you're dancing? You dance with your feet, and there used to be masked balls. Uh, Another texture and touch saying they're in a pub on Saturday. Nobody was wearing masks, no social distancing. People sitting at the barn being served there. I wasn't asked for a cert. Don't get me wrong. I'm pro-vaccine, staying safe and all of that. But the safe, ideal world that we'd like to live in is the real is different to the real world. They're two different things, unfortunately. It's not always practical to do the right thing. Trying to do the right thing would be like Mr. Bean's New Year's Eve party. I know one man who takes COVID very lightly and I doubt he's jabbed or has a cert or was asked for a cert and I was playing in a band thank you for sharing that with us. Joanne says uh, there's been a a lot of talk on the programme about some of uh, the stupidity uh, when it comes to the conspiracy theorists. Uh, Why on earth are we reopening? Why not call out that stupidity, she says, uh, when we're in the worst place since last winter? We've suddenly been uh, we've suddenly picked now as the time to rely on personal responsibility. It's completely Barmy, and she says, This is according to Nafid and government. Please call the stupidity out for what it is, Michael. They're being most irresponsible, far more irresponsible than someone who's breaking the rules on an individual level. Thank you, Joanne, uh, for your text to the programme. I'm finding it hard to understand, but uh, I think throughout all of this, I've been taking the expert advice. Now, there's a lot of advice about getting the vaccine. And you may ask yourself, why should I get a vaccine? Uh,
8: The alpha mutation earlier this year had a very devastating impact on us. Uh, And likewise, now the Delta variant, which is even more transmissible than the alpha variant, uh, has had a very significant impact globally and indeed in this country in terms of the incidence uh, of cases, in terms of hospitalization, ICUs, and mortality. Now, thankfully, because of vaccination, and and because of a very effective, efficient, and well-run vaccination program, um, we have achieved up to 93% vaccination. Vaccines are very effective in terms of preventing severe illness, in preventing hospitalization, admission to ICU, and in terms of, of, of mortality. Preventing That's the, the
2: show, Camille martin death. But an awful lot of people who are fully vaccinated are getting COVID. So does that mean that the vaccines don't work or that they've stopped working or are the vaccines waning? Quite the
1: opposite, actually. It, like it's, 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 it's like the other vaccine paradoxes that, that when you distribute the protection equally across the population, then the population's equally at risk. So back in August, young people were a much higher risk of getting the infection than older people. The cases were dominated by younger people and uh, they had a lower risk of being admitted to hospital. Um, now you're seeing the infection spread much more widely through society and obviously a higher force of infection in the background because it's breaking through uh,
3: a higher level uh, of vaccine protection, so quite the opposite.
2: That's Professor Philip Nolan. The HSE has this message.
3: Just a particular call to those who are unvaccinated. You are, no doubt, putting yourself, your family and your friends and indeed other people in society, at an unnecessary higher level of risk. And indeed, in the interest of the wider common good, uh, we would urge you uh, to come forward, seek clarity on any issues that you do need to seek clarity on, uh, and come forward for vaccination. We have many vaccination clinics all across the country available if you register and come forward.
2: OK, some good suggestions there. It's no wonder, though, that so many people who wouldn't get vaccinated are coming forward now. Thousands getting vaccinated for the first time on a daily basis. People are realising how the vaccine may not stop
3: COVID, but it does improve your chances. Have higher levels of protection because we are, as if we are vaccinated, uh, we, we always have to remind ourselves we're still living with a highly infectious disease, COVID.
2: So, yes, you. if you are vaccinated, you can still get COVID. Of course you can, but it's back to the kind of odds you want to give yourself. If you consider that just one in 10 are not vaccinated, it's frightening how many of them end up catching COVID and going into hospital. Some detail just
3: on vaccination status in hospital, uh, literally uh, as of this week. Um, 65% Uh, Of those people in hospital are fully vaccinated, 27% not vaccinated, uh, and there's about 7%, which we just hadn't fully identified. Still a very disproportionate number of people unvaccinated in hospital.
2: Disproportionate indeed. Uh, Again, remember, it's only 10% of the population who are not vaccinated, but look at how many of the people who are in ICU that didn't get the job.
3: Uh, 41% of the people in ICU are fully vaccinated, 52% are not vaccinated, and 5% partially vaccinated. A very significant disproportionate uh, impact on those who are not vaccinated in the population. Yes, entering into ICU.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly seems to be the case. It really is a serious decision for you if you decide not to get vaccinated. They're the official figures, by the way, from the Chief Executive Officer of the HSE. But what does Paul Reid think will happen if more people do get vaccinated? Let's say that instead of 10% of the population being unvaccinated, you could bring that down to something like 8%. Let's go Look, where you, you
3: know, I wouldn't use the phrase that we're targeting them. We we're certainly very focused to increase every person that we can to get them vaccinated. Uh, certainly, as Damien has stressed very clearly, the uptake here is really good. What is disproportionate are hospitalisations, and particularly ICU, of people not vaccinated. So if we can, every percentage that we get from those remaining uh, elements of the population, if that can bring back those levels of people um, who are not vaccinated in ICU, it's really that important. So, yes, it is that we keep doing it, keep working through those groups, break up that 8% into its various components, and as Damien had said, uh, a very focused communications campaign uh, to those people. It will make a difference.
2: Okay. Paul Reid, Chief Executive Officer of the HSE. Gene on whatsapp says gosh michael why didn't the government leave the big reopening until next week until after the bank holiday weekend there will be huge crowds out and about all weekend Uh, another listener says what about uh, those who are using their family members vaccine passes uh, to get into places I know a few people who have been doing that and they've been getting away with it it's disgraceful it's proof that bars and restaurants aren't worried about following the rules as long as they can get people through the doors Yeah, I think we've all seen a bit of that here and there. Uh, Shame on them, and uh, I don't know how they sleep at night, but thanks uh, for highlighting it on the programme. Liz is in County Mead, and she says, my nightclub days are well and truly behind me, Michael, but I can understand why young people are chomping at the bit to get back out socialising again at clubs. Let's face it, if you're single, it's uh, the chance to meet up, and yes... As you put it, have a snog. Not everyone uses Tinder or other online dating platforms, so it has been a tough time for singletons. However, I do worry. I have family members who are elderly and others with underlying conditions, and even though they are all vaccinated, they are still very afraid of catching COVID because of their vulnerabilities. I realise we can't keep young people curtailed forever, but we need to watch this very closely, and if cases start escalating, the club's and late night venues may have to close again. They may indeed listen. Thank you for your call and for your comment to the programme as well.
5: Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
2: Now, if you're going dancing tonight or if you're going to a, a gig, you'll be asked for a COVID cert to gain entry, and you'll be going in then to share the space with undoubtedly a lot of other young, strong, healthy people. If that's the case, if you need a COVID cert to go in and share space with young, strong, healthy people why is it not necessary to have a COVID cert going in to other places where people are more vulnerable? It's a question that some people have been asking, a question indeed uh, that the Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan seems to be asking.
7: We think it would be important, there was an additional part of our advice that uh, the COVID arrangements the COVID pass arrangements should apply to people who are seeking to visit uh, hospital uh, environments and they might Need to be some uh, particular exceptions to that and so the hse is looking at some of the the detail of how that might be enabled and implemented it's a measure that's in place in other countries it seems to me entirely sensible that if we're saying that nightclubs and uh, uh, other risk environments like that would be subject to COVID past the visitation uh, in in hospital and nursing home situations where there are particular vulnerabilities that's something that should uh, uh, also be added to our to our response we think it's um something The question of visitation, particularly in nursing homes where people, you know, access to loved ones is an important part of of, of people's um, uh, life experience if they're living in in those environments. So it's something we need to be uh, sensitive to. Any visitation that's happening should, among other things. Uh, require that as to whether that visitation is safe or not in general terms is something that has to be risk assessed in each individual institution.
2: That's uh, the Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Hoolan. Let's uh, speak to Tig Daly who's uh, the Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland. Good morning to you Tig, thanks for joining us. It does seem a reasonable question doesn't it? Why would you be asked for a Covid cert going into a, a nightclub if you're not asked for one going into a nursing home?
11: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I would uh, agree and concur wholeheartedly with the, the views of the chief medical officer. There, we've raised on a number of occasions as an organisation. I mean, it is a tricky balance, obviously, balancing the, the you know the the risk of COVID and and the the, the rights of, of residents. But um, you know, given uh, that we now know that COVID is is uh, you know rising in the community, then we need to review all of that guidance. In my mind. Uh, And that would seem to me to be an an eminently sensible measure. Uh, Clearly, the vast majority of of people are vaccinated in the country, so uh, we don't see it impacting hugely. But Mm. it, it is an important, I suppose, signal and an important message that if you are visiting, whether it's a hospital or indeed a nursing home, that you would require to be vaccinated before you do so.
2: Well, we know how disastrous COVID has been in the past when it got into nursing homes. And we know now that there are breakthrough infections. Uh, Despite people being vaccinated in all age groups, but particularly when you're older and when you're vulnerable and you have underlying problems, which is quite often the case with people in nursing homes.
11: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have seen uh, regrettably an increase in outbreaks. The good news is, I suppose, is that people aren't as sick. Uh, and the mortality rate is much, much lower. Uh, But by the same token, you know, we're coming into, you know, the HSE are are signalling as well that there's a very difficult winter ahead in terms of COVID, in terms of flu. Um, So from my my mind uh, as an organisation, we met with ministers uh, this week. uh, We're currently engaged with the HSE on an ongoing basis to ensure that we, you know, introduce, uh, you know, reasonable Mm. risk-based efforts to keep COVID out in the first case and, and minimise the impact of it. So, the, you know, the, the passports, for example, the, the booster mm. vaccination is is almost complete now for residents. That's excellent news. We do need the booster vaccination now, in my mind, for, for staff in nursing homes as well. Mm. And um, we're also encouraged, I suppose, that there is talk of antigen testing having a potential role to play. So, okay. um, you know, what we've seen mm. over the last 18 months, staff have worked tirelessly. Uh, you know, there are many of them are exhausted at this stage. So yeah. we need the public and we need the, the policies and procedures to be able to support staff to, to continue to secure the safety and welfare of both residents and staff.
2: Why is it so slow? Uh, why why is it taking so long uh, for this to happen? Uh, I, I mean, this is where people live. This is their home. Yeah. I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let somebody into my home uh, without a COVID cert. And uh, I think the point is very well made. You wouldn't let somebody into a nightclub without a COVID cert.
11: Yeah, I mean, we are, I suppose, concerned at the, the slow pace in terms of making that decision. Uh, not, not, not that being said, you know, the fact that the CMO has come out quite strongly on it, we would hope that the, the measure would be introduced uh, sooner rather mm. than later. I mean, there will be exceptions as well because we've known from the outset that visiting is a hugely important part of life in a nursing yep. home. Mm. Uh, so we do need to balance as I said, the risk of COVID and, and the, you know, the rights of residents as well. But um, for, for me, as I said, no more than yourself and the CMO, I think it is a, it is a very, very uh, you know mm. straightforward measure. And a uh, basic, basic
2: measure to protect uh, the residents, uh, but not just the residents uh, because, the, I mean, the, the people who are visiting, uh, you know, they won't go in and see their mother and their father uh, for the most part uh, uh, and uh, generally are related or old friends or whatever the case may be Uh, Mm -hmm. and many of them feel obligated they are obligated uh, to go and visit their parents as uh, the case may be and they're going into an environment which may not be safe because you know you'd be safer going into a nightclub
11: yeah, no, absolutely. I'd look, at it. I think we know now that, the, the, you know, the winter is going to be, I guess, say, exceptionally challenging. So every measure that we can put into play, given what we know mm-hmm. now, I mean, we're, you know, 18, 19 months into the, into the pandemic. We thought at this date we'd be in a much better place. Clearly we're not. And the next number of weeks we're hearing there's going to be a spike in cases. So all of those measures need, need to be, you know, today, 22nd of October was mm-hmm. going to be the day when we were relaxing all of these restrictions clearly we're not in that we're not in that position, unfortunately. Mm. So the serial testing, the antigen testing, national rollout, the booster uh, vaccination for for mm. uh, for staff is important, and absolutely the, the COVID certificate uh, is a prerequisite for many sections of society. Uh, so it would be eminently sensible to introduce it for both hospitals and nursing
2: homes. And should it be for everybody in the nursing home? You know, the next question: What about the staff? Uh, if yes. uh, if
11: Absolutely. I mean, we've also had that discussion with government around the notion of of mandatory vaccination. Um, We've seen it introduced in other countries, and again, you know, I'm not an expert in this area, but Mm. what we do need to ensure is that, if if appropriate, uh, I personally would support mandatory vaccination, uh, but we do need to be careful as well that uh, I suppose there are some people who are not in a position to take the vaccine, Mm. um, you know, by virtue of their their, maybe their condition. Um, So, you know, we do need to, to balance that as well, but uh, absolutely the, the high take-up is very encouraging. There are some pockets of the country, uh, both in hospitals and nursing homes, where staff have not taken the vaccine. And I can assure you that uh, individual operators are working very, very hard to engage, inform, uh, and, and to, as it were, win people over. Uh, so that they can see the benefits of vaccine. You know, I suppose what we've seen is that when people get sick, the vast, vast majority of those in ICU now are those who haven't been vaccinated. So on the one hand, people trust science and trust uh, medicine when they get sick and and present to hospital. What we're asking them to do, I suppose, is to trust the science, uh, trust the experts and take the vaccine. And that's the message loud and clear from all of us across society, but particularly those in, in, in health and social care.
2: Okay, thank you, Tyke. Uh, I and, need them, uh, and I'm sure. Just uh, before you go, you'd ask people if they haven't uh, been vaccinated or aren't COVID immune, if they haven't got a COVID cert not to visit people in nursing homes.
11: Absolutely. I mean, yeah. what we have at the mm. moment is people are, you know, if they have any symptoms, absolutely they should come nowhere near a nursing home. Mm. And clearly, as well, uh, we would, inc- we would, at this point in time. Uh, members are already asking for people to sh- to show the vaccination passport. Oh good. We would like mm. we would like it to be introduced on a national basis. Oh
2: very good. That's great news. Ty, thank you uh, for joining thank us on the programme nice this morning. Nice morning. Ty Daly, Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland. That's our programme for this week. Going into the long weekend, we hope you've a, a good one and we'll see you for our next programme on Tuesday morning, God willing, at nine AM on LMFM. Good morning, bye bye
1: the michael reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on lmfm to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie
5: it's that time of the year your vacation is
0: coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work